So I had some friends recommend that I start off with the jokes. That's what we're going to do. So uh, a Minneapolis couple decided to go to Florida to thaw out during a particularly icy winter. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And they plan to stay at the same hotel that they spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. Because of their hectic schedules, it was difficult for the couple to coordinate their travel plans. So the husband left Minnesota and flew to Florida on a Thursday, and his wife planned to fly down the following day. The husband checked into the hotel, and there was a computer in his room, so he decided to email his wife. However, he accidentally left out one of the letters of the email address and sent the email without realizing his error. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, a widow just returned home from her husband's funeral. He was a Baptist minister who was called home to glory following a heart attack. So the widow decided to check her email, expecting to find condolences from friends and family. And after reading her first email, she screamed and fainted. Uh, the widow's son rushed into the room and found his mother on the floor and saw the computer screen which read this, to my loving wife, subject, I've just arrived today. I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now, and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. Since I've just arrived, I thought I would send an email. Everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. I'm looking forward to seeing you then. <laughs> Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine. P.S. Sure is really hot down here. <laughs> right, I got one more. It's shorter. <laughs> A child asked his father, uh, how are people born? The father said, Adam and Eve made babies, and they grew up and became adults and made babies and so on. And the child went and asked his mother, asked the same question. She said, we were monkeys, and then we evolved to become something like we are now. The child ran back to his father and said, you lied to me. The father said, no, I didn't lie to you. I was just talking about your mother's side of the family. <laughs> I thought this was pretty good. All right. So... Um, to sum up what's been going on, we were going through the book of John, and we're in John 5 right now, and the last couple of weeks, Pastor Joey's been talking about the story of the invalid who was sick for 38 years, and Jesus comes along and says, do you want to get well? And then he heals him, and this should be something to be happy about and rejoice, but the religious people are upset about it because he didn't do it according to their standards. Jesus broke two things according to these religious leaders. He healed on the Sabbath, or on a Saturday. And he told him to pick up his mat and walk. Now, God had said that you shouldn't do any work on Saturday, um, but the religious, was like, the religious leaders were like, good start, God, we're going to add a bunch more rules. And so the, Jesus didn't actually break the Sabbath. He broke what the religious leaders were adding to the Sabbath. And one of those is that you can't pick up your mat or carry anything on the Sabbath. So instead of celebrating this healing that had happened, they begin to criticize it. And then they approach this guy and say, okay, who healed you? And then he points to Jesus. And so now they start going after Jesus and start persecuting Jesus. Uh, and they start persecuting him because he had done something good uh, because he didn't do it according to the manual of these religious leaders. He upset their standard. And these religious leaders have a critical and religious heart, um, a religious spirit, rather. And so um, Jesus today, in the scripture, he's really going after um, the religious spirit. And so what I, what I mean when I talk about that is there's good religion like it talks about in James, like the service to the ortho, orphans and widows, but there's bad religion, which is like legalism, right? What these Pharisees are doing where they're adding extra laws onto God's law. That's what we're talking about uh, in a negative sense. So the religious spirit is judgmental, unteachable, domineering, non-relational, critic, and not a coach. 
And so Jesus is going about to do some good works. He's going about doing good works and healing people to establish relationship and bring peace. But these people don't want anything to do with it. And so these people are starting to bring accusation against Jesus. And today uh, we're going to start in John 5, 31 and 32. Jesus says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. So, um, in the Bible, when there's an important decision to be made or a verdict to be rendered, it's important that you have uh, two to three witnesses, right? And this just makes sense. Like, you're not gonna, just going to believe a story if someone themselves comes and tells you. You need to hear it from multiple perspectives. And that's what's happening here. So Jesus today is actually, instead of bringing forth two or three witnesses, he's going to bring forth five witnesses to testify to who he is, the Son of God. And now he doesn't need to do this, right? He's Jesus. We should simply just believe, right? He, he has the Father's witness, but for the sake of those listening, he brings five additional witnesses forward. And this really shows the humility of Jesus because, um, really because he had just healed a guy, right? He, there shouldn't need to be any other witness. But in his humility and wanting these people to be saved, he brings additional witnesses. Uh, witness number one is John the Baptist, um, 33 through 35. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Now the testimony that I receive is, is not. Now the testimony that I receive is from man. But I say these things to you, that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice in his. For a while in his light. So, this is uh, John the Baptist. This is Jesus' crazy cousin. All right, he's off. He's eating weird things. He's wearing weird things. Whatever. And uh, in the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, um, there's 400 periods, uh, 400 years of silence um, before Jesus comes. And in this book of Malachi, it says that before Jesus comes, that there will be a messenger who comes and prepares the way of the Lord. And that's John the Baptist. And that's what uh, John's ministry was, to prepare the way of Jesus. And this is why at the end of John's ministry in John 3.30, he says about Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. What he's saying is, is that my job has been fulfilled. I've come, I've prepared the way of Jesus. I've, in a sense, given him the baton, and now it's his job to keep going, right? I've prepared my way. It's my time to step aside and allow him to do his thing. And this was the point of uh, John's ministry. And earlier in the book of John that we saw, it was actually um, John that stood up and saw Jesus on the banks of the Jordan and said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's his testimony. And Jesus said that, um, it says here that it was, um, that people were willing for a while to rejoice in his light. So John was the lamp and Jesus was the light. The lamp testifies to the light, right? A lamp isn't a source in itself, it has a source to it. Right, so the lamp testifies to the light of Jesus. And, these, and it actually says that John had a pretty successful ministry. People were coming out and being baptized by him. You had centurions coming and asking him questions. Like he had a pretty good name in the area. And it would only make sense that because of this, it would continue into Jesus' ministry, but that's not what's happening. Jesus is running into these problems with these people. And so Jesus here says that he shares this testimony not for his sake. He doesn't need to hear it, but for the sake of those listening. Um, Jesus already knew that the Father had spoken over him, so he didn't need to defend himself. But he's saying these things to those who are listening that they may be saved. 
And so what you know, you don't need to prove, right? What you know, you don't need to prove. Jesus knows where he comes from, therefore he doesn't need to prove it. And so here's the point with that for us, is that if we don't know who we are, then we'll often speak to defend ourselves out of insecurity. But if we do know who we are, we'll often speak to resolve conflicts out of love. So in light of the conflict that's happening with these religious people, Jesus isn't getting defensive and and through that start bringing accusation back. He's actually seeking to um, resolve this because his identity is not in jeopardy, right? He knows where he came from. He knows where he's going. And so when people, when we as people get a false sense of identity, it can be heartbreaking when someone brings accusation against that because we've placed that in their hands. And so Jesus, being the firstborn among many brethren, right, we're called to be, we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. We can learn from his example here to see that we first look to our Heavenly Father for identity, and then in that, in that healthy place, then we can deal with conflict, right? Then it doesn't become about defending and accusing, it becomes about resolving conflicts. And Jesus mentions John witness not for his own sake, but for his hearers, that they may be saved because they're saved by believing in Jesus, and the testimony of John may help them believe in Jesus. Uh, um, this is the first witness that Jesus presents. Second witness is the works that Jesus presents. So say we have a, a stand here. First witness has come up. They've given their argument. That now they step aside. Second one comes up. It's works. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And so this is a pretty big statement that Jesus makes. He's saying that um, a prophet who was talked about in the scriptures, that was filled with the Spirit of God, who came and did what he was supposed to do, that the works that Jesus does is actually greater than that witness. Jesus, in effect, is saying, if you don't like my words, watch my works. Right? If you want to know what someone's about, you watch what they do. And so what did Jesus just do? He healed a guy that was sick for 38 years, and so that should testify to his person. Um, but there, these religious people are getting caught up in what he's saying and wrestling over these. And he's like, just, just watch what I'm doing, and that will testify about who I am. And these works that Jesus were doing were impossible to do unless the Father was with him. Um, it talks about in the book of Luke when Jesus begins his ministry. Um, he goes into a synagogue, and he stands up to read from the prophet Isaiah, and he reads this. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. This is Luke 4. Uh, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sits down and he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, watch what I'm getting ready to do because it's going to testify to who I am. The works that the Father has sent me testify to Jesus. Again, um, in the story of the paralytic, right, they get offended because Jesus says to him, um, son, your sins are forgiven. And so what does he do? He says, don't believe me because I said this. Watch what I'm getting ready to do. Pick up your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So if you don't like my words, watch my works. So this is second witness. Now third witness is God the Father, God himself. Verse 37, 38. And the Father who sent me has borne witness about me, 
His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So the father testifies of his son. Um, remember at the baptism where Jesus comes up and there's a loud voice that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this is an intimate knowledge between the son, between Jesus, and between the father who sent him. Again, Jesus knows where he came from, and he knows where he's going. And then he makes this statement here. He says, you don't have his word abiding in you because you don't believe in him whom he has sent. And now, again, remember, he's speaking to religious people. He's speaking to people who go to church, people who read the Bible, people who tithe. And this will set up our next point where we talk a little bit about it here, is that if we don't know Jesus, then we don't really know the word, right? Like he's saying here. If you don't believe in me, then you don't really have the word in you. Jesus is the word. Um, in Hebrews 1, it says that God in many times and in many ways spoke to the, the fathers in the Old Testament, whether that be from an angel, a dream, a vision. God spoke in many ways and at many times. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son who, um, to be the ultimate revelation of the father. So Jesus is the word incarnate. He's bringing the father's message as pure as could be. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But he says that they didn't really understand any of what they were studying because they missed the ultimate revelation of what God was trying to get across to the scriptures, which was his son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the Father's message. If you want to get a message across to somebody, um, you don't send it through, you know, so many hands or whatever. You go yourself and proclaim that message, right? So Jesus that intimate relationship between the Father and the Son. It says, I'll send my Son to, to give this message as pure as could be. Jesus is the will of the Father revealed. And Jesus isn't only the um, um, superior word of the Father, he's the final word of the Father. So anything that can be said about God has been said through Jesus Christ. So we don't need necessarily more messages about love. We need more messages about Jesus. Right, we, need no, we don't need more messages about faith. We need more messages about Jesus. Don't need more messages about generosity. We need more messages about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He's the gospel. He's the good news. And he's the one who transformed our lives. And so in this statement, Jesus is rebuking these people because they're only interested in the concept of God, right, and in the thinking and not the person of God. The, the Bible to them is something that they consider, not a person that they're becoming. And then this will set up our next witness, a fourth witness, which is the scriptures. And we'll spend the majority of our time here. Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may be saved. So Jesus starts by saying, you search the scriptures. So in other words, it's good to read your Bible. That's a good thing. If you go to church here long enough, you'll recognize that we really value that. So it's good to read the Bible. But he corrects these religious people's view of the Bible because they're coming in it to find life in itself instead of coming to the person it's testifying about. So the Bible is like a window, right? Through, we look through to see Jesus. No one actually looks at the window. It's like, wow, look at that trim, you know? It's always about what's through the window. And so the Bible doesn't save us. The Bible tells us about Jesus who saves us. 
um, reality is you can read the Bible and still go to hell. You can memorize the Bible and still go to hell. This book, the book of the Bible, testifies to Jesus who is the one who gives us life. It's always pointing to the person of God. And so God wants us to have a relational view of the scriptures, not just an informative view, right? I think I heard a quote recently by Mark Batterson, I think, that the Bible wasn't necessarily meant to be read through, but to be prayed through. So the scripture is something that where we go to encounter God through the Spirit. The Bible is Jesus in print, as when I went to ministry school, that's something Bill Johnson said. And now we can, we can look at these people with whom Jesus is talking about and judge them, right? And say like, oh, we never do that. Jesus was right there, we'd, we'd be right with them. But we do it with God all the time through the word. We argue with God all the time through the word. I'm not doing that. I'm not forgiving them. I can't become that. And so we need to have hearts that are open to receive the word of God and, and to be changed by it. To receive the God of the word and the, and the word of God. Um, and we don't always need to understand. I think a lot of people get caught up on understanding. Well, I don't understand anything. Well, you don't always need to understand. You just need to trust. And, um, and uh, some people struggle with, well, I can't remember anything. Um, I think Joey shared this before. That I can't remember what I had for lunch last Tuesday, but it still fed me, right? And so that's the point of the Bible. And so God isn't a man that he should lie. So just because we are in the word doesn't necessarily mean that the word is in us, right? We want the word to become us. Verse 41, 42. I do not receive glory from people, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God within you. So, uh, this is something that um, Rob was talking about this morning in Sunday school. So, if we're living for the approval of men, we aren't living from the glory of God. Galatians 1.10 For am I now seeking the favor of people or of God, or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So, if I were... I would not. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. They're in complete contradiction. So the world's desires and God's desires are in complete contradiction toward one another. So to offend one, um, or to please one, is to offend the other. So the question isn't about trying to offend nobody. The question is, who are you going to offend, right? Because they're in complete opposite. To be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. And now when we're talking about the world, we're talking about the fallen, broken system that the world functions under, the demonic thinking, right? So we're not actually talking about the people in the world. Um, like Jesus says later in, in the book of John, he says, he's praying for the church. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So it's not about getting us out of the world, it's about getting the world out of us. That's what sanctification is. It's getting the world out of us. We were all trained a certain way, to think a certain way, and born in this world to things just seem right, right? And so when we come born again, we're changed by the process of renewing our mind. That's what sanctification looks like. So it's not about getting us out of the world, but getting the world and its thinking out of us. We're to be salt and to be light. And then uh, Jesus says, says, I know you, but I know you. And I know that you don't have the love of God in your hearts. So first point here is that um, Jesus knows our heart. Many people can assume things about us, but only God knows things about us. And God knows our hearts better than we do. That's why David in the Psalms, he's like, 
God, search my heart and know me and reveal what's in my heart, right? God knows our hearts better than us. And this is one of my favorite scriptures because Jesus is the only one who can look past um, all the mess, all the frustration, all the anger of these people and like a doctor just see right through and be, okay, what's the heart of the issue? What's going on here? He says, oh, you don't have the love of God in your hearts. And I believe that he's diagnosing, it, diagnosing the issue. He's saying here that these people who are more worried about the approval of man than of God, that the issue is that they haven't received the love of God for them, but they're hardened toward it. Um, one of the quickest ways for myself to reveal that I am getting religious in a bad way is how I respond to the love of God. One of the quickest ways to reveal the religious spirit is to begin talking about the love of God and see how you respond. Often for myself, what this looks like, if someone begins to talk about love and I instantly become uncomfortable or I swing the other way and like, yeah, but what about this? Then that reveals to me, and that's good to think that way, but it's, it reveals to me that in my thinking, I've swayed from the love of God. I made it about other things. Um, the love of God makes the religious spirit very uncomfortable. And the reason for this is because the religious spirit functions on performance. It functions on what I did and how I'm better than you. But the love of Jesus gives no place to that. While we were sinners, Christ died for us, right? When we were dead and our transgressions and sins, he made us alive together with him, right? It, we were dead. What, is a dead. what can a dead person do? <laughs> Nothing, right? Christ came and saved. It's called um, just utter depravity, right? We were dead, lost, gone, and he came and saved us, right? It had nothing to do with us. It was only him. So we love because he first loved us. We work from love, not for love, right? Um, but, and then sometimes you'll often, when you talk about this, people will say, well, it's not all about the goodness of God. And I think with that, I think goodness can look different sometimes, right? God's goodness is his love and his kindness and his mercy, but it's also his wrath and his judgment and that kind of thing. Because how could God ever be good if he didn't punish evil, right? Then he wouldn't be good. So the goodness of God, when we have no right to define the good, we have no right to look at God and to judge him based on what's good and what's not. Only he gets the right in that say, right? We have no room. So we were all, before Jesus, under the wrath of God, but now in Christ, we are all peaced with God. Now we're holy, blameless, and above reproach, accepted, received as sons and daughters, right? And so let's not, in our quest for righteousness, which is a good thing, become foreign to the love of God. These are people who have uh, the word of God in their mind, but not the love of God in their heart. And it's not necessarily about um, what you know, but who you know. Um, Pastor Joey uses this example all the time of LeBron James. Um, everyone in here, to some extent, knows who LeBron James is. You know, he's a basketball player, plays for the Lakers, number 23. You can wear a jersey, you can go to a, bat, a game, sit in the front row. But if any of us went up to him and was like, hey, what's up, LeBron? He'd be like, who are you? Right? He would have no idea. So we can all know things about somebody, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they know us. And First uh, John <clears throat> says that the evidence that we know God is that we love like God because God is love. 
not how much scripture you can quote, but how much love you can demonstrate. That's the evidence that we know God. Verse 43 through 44. Doing good? I know I'm kind of going fast. Okay, cool. 43 through 44. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? And so like most people then and now, these people were heavily dependent on the praises of people and accepting praise from people. And so inevitably, inevitably, um, that meant that they were open to uh, messianic frauds who would come along and cater their message so closely to their audience that it made these people feel good about themselves, right? Whatever, you know? They're thinking they're pretty good. And then you get someone like Jesus comes along and kind of cuts down those expectations and then they start to get upset. And so these are people that love Christian things, but they don't love Christ. So they love the Christian events, they love the Christian t-shirts, they love the bumper stickers, they love the radio station, but they don't love Christ. And so we love the idea of Jesus, but do we really love him? And so we, we, gotta, we have to be careful, especially for us in ministry, um, not to miss Jesus in the midst of our Christian activities. So the primary goal shouldn't be, did the program run good or did the service run smooth, which you know are good things, but was God's presence there? Was Jesus glorified? Was he revealed? And so let's not miss Jesus in our service to him. And let's not become so busy in our Christian activities that we forget who we're doing it for. Um, it's, it's not about busyness, it's about fruitfulness. So we need to be um, both biblical and relational. So if we're biblical and not relational, then we can end up uh, religious and legalistic. If we're relational and not biblical, then we just become a club and then what is it about, right? It's not about Jesus at all. And so these people aren't using the word of God to build up and to help people, but they're using it to criticize and bring down people. And so our goal is to build people up, not beat them up with the word of God. And um, an important here, a point, an important point here is that if we don't have the spirit but study the scriptures, we can end up like Satan, how Satan uses the Bible. And so um, what does uh, scripture call Satan? The accuser of the brethren, right? So Satan knows the scriptures, right? When Je- remember Jesus was tempted and he brings forth the scripture? But his goal is to bring condemnation and confusion with them. So this is why Jesus is so struggling with these religious people and why they're struggling with him is because with the scripture, they're using it to destroy people's lives instead of using it to help people and build up their lives. Matthew 23, verse 4. This is Jesus speaking about the religious people. He says, They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So this is adding laws to God's law, right? Like an example. God said you shouldn't do any work on the Sabbath. But what do the religious people do? Well, let's add more laws to God's law. They're laying burdens on people that God had never intended to lay on them. They're willing to tell you what you did wrong, but they're not willing to help you in it, right? And so this is the difference between a critic and a coach, right? We want to be coaches in our helping people, not critics. 
Uh, the difference is a critic will tell you what you did wrong, but will offer you no help in getting better. A coach will tell you what you did wrong, but then offer you help to get better. Uh, a coach will, or sorry, a critic will stand above and point and accuse. Uh, a coach will stand aside and assist. So with scripture, we need to have the attitude of a coach, not a critic. We can't become so religiously pious and noble in our understanding of scripture that we forget about helping people, which is the main issue. The um, The Bible is for us, but it's not primarily about us. And that's something that these um, religious people are struggling with. They take the Bible seriously, which is really, which is good. We want to take the Bible seriously, but they also take themselves very seriously. They have an inflated view of self-importance. And they see themselves as part of the solution and not part of the problem, right? And if you've ever read the Bible, you'll quickly understand that we are the problem, not the solution, right? And so, uh, the whole narrative of the Bible is about God stepping in in the midst of our helplessness and self-destruction to bring life and to bring help. And so let's not take ourselves seriously. Let's take Jesus seriously. Is that good? And um, this is another way to recognize the religious spirit. It's no fun. No fun at church. Can't do it. Can't do it. Only serious talk, right? And the reason for this is actually a lack of faith, I believe. is because they don't believe that Jesus is the one doing the work within them to produce attributes of godliness. And so what they have to do is they have to do it themselves. Oh, I got to be like God. I got to make myself like God. And surely God doesn't have any fun, right? And so they put faith in themselves, but not trust in him. Um, Jesus says later in the book of John, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Unless you abide in me, you can do nothing. This is about abiding, being with him. Only he's the one who can bring the difference. Gosh. All right. Um, and now finishing with this witness of the scriptures, I just want to give some examples about how the whole Bible is about Jesus, because it really is. Um, firstly, Jesus um, fulfills the roles of Old Testament leaders. So in the Old Testament, you'll come across priests. Priests are mediators between an unholy people and a holy God. Jesus is our greater high priest who brings us to God. You'll come across prophets and these who are anointed by God to boldly proclaim the word of the Lord. Jesus is the prophet of God who came and boldly proclaimed the word of the Lord, bringing life and conviction to us. Jesus is the greater prophet. You'll come across kings, and these are those ruling over kings and kingdoms, and these are serve as a reminder that Jesus is the greater king with a greater kingdom to come, right? He will establish an everlasting kingdom, one that will never fade away and never end. You'll come across shepherds, These are those that care for the sheep. And Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. Not only does he care for the sheep, but he lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the greater shepherd. Judges, these are those that are seated in authority, rendering verdict between right and wrong. This is to remind us that Jesus is the ultimate judge, and that we'll all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus is the greater judge. Sacrifices. This is when an animal who was innocent was brought in to pay the price for people who weren't innocent. And this is to remind us that Jesus is the greater sacrifice who gave his life for us so that we could be justified even though he was innocent. 
Jesus is the greater sacrifice. And then you'll find the temple. And this was the holiest place on earth. People would go there to find, to find God. And it says earlier in the book of John that um, Jesus came and made his dwelling among us. And that word dwelling literally means tabernacle. That God came and tabernacled among us. God came and made his dwelling among us. And so this is why as Christians we no longer run to a building to find God. We run to a person. And his name is Jesus. And then some people in the Old Testament you'll come across who testify of Jesus. It's Adam. Adam was our first father and the head of the race. And that's why we all have sin natures, thanks to Adam, right? He messed up, and as a result, we were all born into sin and have a sin nature. Scripture says that Jesus is the last Adam who came so we could be born again and give us a new life and create a new humanity through himself. The first Adam brought thorns. The last Adam wore a crown of thorns. The first Adam brought condemnation. The last Adam brought salvation. If you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll come across Noah. (coughs) Noah was the guy that was blameless in his generation. And he proclaimed the word of the Lord for 120 years. And then eventually the judgment of God came. And he had had built an ark so that people of God could escape from the wrath of God through it. Jesus is the greater Noah and the greater ark who through him, through faith in him, we're saved from the wrath to come. Jesus is the greater Noah. You'll find Isaac. And Isaac, out of love for his father, wore wood on his back up a mountain to give himself as a sacrifice. Jesus is the greater Isaac, who wore uh, the cross on his back and walked uphill in obedience to his father to give his life as a sacrifice. Jesus is the greater Isaac. You'll find Moses, who was a great deliverer for Israel, for the people of God who delivered them from a demonic king named Pharaoh and brought them into the promised land. Jesus is the greater Moses who brought deliverance from uh, a greater Pharaoh into a greater promised land, the kingdom of heaven. Job, who was, although he was innocent and done nothing wrong, and all his friends left him, Jesus is the greater Job who endured, uh, who endured the failure of his friends and the testing of God, but proved faithful to God. Jesus is the greater Job. You'll find Jonah... And Jonah was three nights and three days in the belly of a whale. Jesus is the greater Jonah who spent three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, who then uh, resurrected to give us life. Nehemiah, who restored the walls of Jerusalem, giving the people of God a place to go and to have security and safety. Jesus is the greater Nehemiah who goes to prepare a place for us in heaven. Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. Hosea. Hosea was faithful to his unfaithful wife, right? And this gives a picture of Christ. Jesus is the greater Hosea, who remains faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to him as the bride of Christ. When we are faithless, he remains faithful. Jesus is the greater Hosea. And then David. David is a guy who became king from lowly beginnings, right? Even so, Jesus started off born in a manger and ascended to the right hand of God where he now sits, where he makes intercession and rules for king as king forever and ever. Jesus is the greater David. So it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It always has been, always will be. And all these people that he's dealing with, they're talking a lot about Jesus. And they know a lot of the Bible, but they prove that they don't know Jesus at all in all their scriptures. The last witness is Moses. He says, do not think that I will excuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, 
Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Um, Galatians 3.24 says that the purpose of the law was to bring us to Christ. That was the purpose of it. Uh, the purpose of the law was to reveal sin so that we would know that we need a Savior. Like um, Paul says in Romans 7, I would not have known coveting unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Right? It came to reveal sin. Romans 3.29. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become accountable to God. And so that's the purpose of the law. We read the law and we understand God is holy and I'm not. And our mouths become stopped and we have no room for accusation. We have no room for self-justification because in that moment we're all guilty. We see that we're messed up in the eyes of God through the law and that we, have, we can do nothing in ourselves. And so that reveals to us that we need a savior. And so there's no such thing as good people. There's only those who have received Jesus and those who have not received Jesus. None of us is good in ourselves. None of us ever will be good in ourselves. It's only through the Spirit of God working through it. Says, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So faith, the life I now live, I live by faith in him who died and gave his life for me. It's all through Jesus. Only he is good. And so what we could not do, Jesus did in fulfilling the law. Right? When he died upon the cross, what were the three words that he said? It is finished, right? Jesus in himself fulfilled the law. He, he carried out the, the righteous requirement of the law that you and I never could. We, we stood before the law and it revealed that we were no good, that we were messed up. And then Jesus came, walked among us and fulfilled the perfect law. And he himself was the perfect law. So that when he died... We died to the righteous requirements so that now, by faith in the one who did it for us, we can be justified by faith. And so it's been fulfilled. No longer are we bound by endless do's and don'ts. But now we place our faith in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And now we place our faith in the one who did it for us. And we're saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. So... Put your faith in Jesus today. Nothing that we can do in ourselves. Put your faith in Jesus. Let him be the sanctifier. Let him be the one that changes you, that renews you. Just get alone with him in prayer and let him begin to change your heart. Don't worry about the abide, like he says in John 15, abide in me and I in you. And maybe you're here and you've never received Jesus. You need to receive Jesus because he's the one that can save you and set you free from what you're dealing with. Not only now, but in the life to come. So I'm going to pray. We're going to finish up. So... Lord, I just thank you for today. Um, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's all about you. Lord, I pray that if any of us who have strayed from you, that you would bring us back to yourself. The Lord, in our scripture reading, that we wouldn't just be caught up in the idea of scripture or anything else, but God, we would be caught up in you and that we would be, have a relational view of the Bible, not just an informative view. And I pray, Jesus, that you would set our hearts on you, that you, only you are the one that can change us. Only you are the one that saved us. And it's by your work within us 
that we're being changed and conformed to your image. And so God, I just pray, bless everyone here with that message. Bless everyone with the presence and person of Jesus. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.